Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. We're two passionate movie lovers who love talking about movies passionately. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Laggies is over. I'd hate to see a mother separated from her guns. 
Excuse me? We all forgot our IDs. Would you buy a six pack or something? Someone did this for me when I was your age. It's like a rite of passage, right? I had a good feeling about you. That makes one of us. Why would you tweak the nipples? That's Buddha. Did you convert to Buddhism? Wanna stay for dinner? Is it make your own pizza night? Sure, great idea. Honey, I don't want to see you throw away your education. You have an advanced degree. I've waited to do this for so long. No, no, whoa, get up, get up. Just a second. I need to lay low for a week. My dad learned some lame Dorsey mixer, so he'll be late. <laughs> Dad, you're supposed to knock. Wow, high school students are looking rougher and rougher these days. Who are you? It's kind of hard to explain. Hey, did you hear the one about the grown woman who started hanging out with a bunch of pubescent kids? No, what? No, I'd never heard of it before either. So, Pete, have you heard about these membership plans we have over at The Next Reel? Membership plans? Tell me more. For just $1 a month, practically nothing you can become a One Reeler member and get access to member channels over on Discord. But I'm already a member on Discord. Yeah, but you only get access to some of the channels. Okay, so what's on these member channels? Oh, you know that Saturday matinee show? The one that I get every Monday, where the hosts talk about news and new trailers and play movie-related games and challenge each other with their list of films related somehow to the films reviewed that week? That's the one. Members get access to the Show Talk channel, where they can vote on the lists each week. You mean there's a vote? I love voting. Mom always said, vote early, vote off. Now, if you bump your membership up to the two-reeler tier, which costs a measly $5 a month, it's practically the same you'd pay for one of those fancy coffee drinks, you get so much more. What more could there be? Well, two-reelers not only get everything the one-reelers get, that's a given, but they also get access to live streams to watch shows when they actually record or any time thereafter. You mean I have to stop doing this in my bathrobe? Two-reelers also get to be a part of a pre-show chat with hosts before every film board episode. I like it, I like it. Two-reelers get every show before regular listeners and without ads. You mean I don't have to sit through this? Count me in! But the best benefit of all, members get bonus member-only episodes. I love that. It's an exciting time to be alive. What can I say? So how do I sign up? It's easy. Just head to thenextreel.com slash membership. Thenextreel.com slash membership? Thenextreel.com slash membership. Access to member channels in Discord, early access to shows, access to live streams, and member bonus episodes. Sign up today. Andy Lynn Shelton. Yes, here we are. The yeah. third movie in our Lynn Shelton series. Okay, you hadn't seen this movie. I hadn't seen this movie. We're talking about Laggies, right? That is correct. All right. 2014 Laggies, um, uh, directed by Lynn Shelton, takes place in lovely Seattle. Uh, and uh, it was written by Andrea Siegel. Written, I think, is the operative term here. This is a scripted film. And it's delightful. You think? <laughs> Did you not like it? Are you setting me up? I was not as much a fan of this. Oh, my God. What are we getting into? I I tell you, this movie felt um, like everything just felt so expected. Like nothing really surprised me. I like the performances. I like the character arcs and all that. But I kept going, of course, this is the next note. Oh, of course, this is the next thing that happens. Like it just felt like everything. I was just like not surprised by anything in this film. I absolutely agree with that. That's unfortunate. It was very much a formula 
and it hinges on its performances. You know, you put a put cast in here that you don't truck with, and it's not the same movie. Movie, movie. It's a movie, not a movie. <laughs> Is that uh, our new thing? I think you kind of have to. I think you kind of have to love the people, and I I felt really great about it. First of all, to me, it's a comedy. There are there are jokes, and I'm here for the jokes. It was categorized as a comedy genre comedy, and I laughed at it. I didn't have to be in a big audience to laugh at it. I was sitting alone, and I found it funny, and I felt like. That's a great start because the whole is it funny comedy or is it cringy comedy? Do you have to be at a film in a theater audience to find Hump Day and Sister Sister funny? That really has been eating at me because I didn't find them funny. This one I found funny. It made me laugh. I found your sister's sister funnier than this film. What? I still laughed. What? I still laughed. Fresh funny. hell are you are you delivering unto me right now? Are you crazy? <laughs> No, there were things <laughs> in this film that were funny. I mean, yes. there, like when she tweaks Buddha's nipples, that was funny. Like there were elements in here that really worked for me and I found funny and that I laughed at. I just think I found your sister's sister had some funnier moments. I, I still think in all three cases, when they're calling these comedies, they're very much just like character drama comedies. You know, like that's the type of story it is. Like, I still don't think this is a straight up laugh a minute comedy, but it's it it is a comedic type of independent story, even if it's like indie light because it's not really an indie film. Like we've kind of this is Shelton kind of stepping out of mumblecore because people have realized what she can do and they're giving her more money to actually make something that's more of a quote studio film. But um, so I don't know. I I. I I find it funny. I just don't think it's a as as funny as the last one. Man, I that surprises me a lot. I um I I, I want to go back to to the performances. No, I I think we should start with the um uh, with our, our well our title laggies. Right? What what is a <laughs> what 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 is a laggy and and why do we care about them? Because this is where I do have. Problem. This is where the stars start to fall for me. It's a very funny story, I guess, to come up with this term laggies, because the writer, as the, as you said, um, Andrea Siegel, she's the one who wrote this script. And she said that laggies was like coming up with this title was difficult. She had heard this term. She said it was a common term. In fact, she insisted that this was a common term for adult slackers. So much so that Shelton bought into it, that the fact that this was a common term for adult slackers. And then as the film was made, Shelton realized that nobody had ever heard the term laggies before, except Siegel. So it was one of these things that might have been just a term in her small circles of friends, who knows, but they called adult slackers laggies. No one else had ever heard the term, still the title stuck because they had been going with it so long. And it is a unique name. You remember it and stuff. But you can see why when it was released overseas, it was called Say When, which still, yeah, I, I mean, that's it, a much I worse title. that either. Title. <laughs> yeah. According to the Urban Dictionary, a lagger, laggies is not in. Laggy, laggies is not in the Urban Dictionary at all. But a person, male or female, that is expected to work or do something and does not take action due to the fact of his or her laziness and or inconsiderate feelings toward other people. Lagger, maybe Andrea 
just thought she was thinking of lagger, <laughs> but mistook it for laggy, and now it's a thing. Yeah. Good for she her. She had her own this little is, Mandela effect of that word. 100%. This is how words become words. It's just you, you find sounds and you commit to them and then you define them and then other people use them. And that's exactly what happened here. More power to her. She's and made insist. a thing. And you yes. insist. <laughs> you insist. No, it's a yes. thing. I promise it's a thing. And if you disagree, you probably don't love me very much. It goes hand in hand with gaslighting. You have to be a gaslighter. <laughs> So uh, this is this is where I I struggle with the film because I think Kira Knightley is wonderful. I think she's just delightful. I buy uh, I, I buy everything that she's delivering on screen. Right? I think she's her accent's great. Uh, she feels very much of a place. Um, and and I also buy that she's struggling with that sort of midlife thing. Like she's she's not midlife, but premature midlife crisis. Right? This sort of twenty yeah. something. She's 28 years old. She doesn't know what to do with herself. And so as a result of that, things that are like strategies and opportunities that would otherwise be crazy have more gravity to them. And she is drawn to this this sort of subgroup of teenagers, which is how we're introduced to Chloe Grace Moretz and her uh, team. And that seems like a logical social group for Megan to be a part of. I, I kind of get that. I struggle with caring about it because there is, and maybe it's just because I am who I am, that I look at her and I think, okay, you have, you, you went to grad school for crying out loud. Like you, you did all the stuff. T- tell me why I need to, I need <laughs> to care about you struggling right now. Like I, I just, yeah. that's, just, I'm sure that's just me, but I had a hard time struggling with the subtext behind the page like struggling with her character motivation i felt like this is another example of one of shelton's movies that's asking something of me to like willingly suspend my disbelief in a context that is is too far it makes me stop and think i think that there is definitely something there i i it's it's an interesting line it's a thread that they've kind of added through this script about the fact that she did go to grad school to be, I think it was a counselor or some sort of thing like that. Right. And so that's a lot of school to go through and to be committed to. Now I can see it because some people feel like they go to school and they don't know what they want to do. So they just keep going to school. And like, so professional academics. Yeah. Yes. I can totally see that. Like that's, that that I've seen that thread. I've seen those people. I know those people. That makes sense to me. The problem is I don't feel like the film completely delivered on that aspect of her. Like she seemed much more the type of person who went to school or started school and then just kind of fizzled out because she didn't know what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like that seemed the way that they wrote it, the more more the type of person that her character was. Mm-hmm. I struggled a little more with her as this person who is so completely just lost as to what she was going to do that she made it all the way through and then kind of hit this wall where she didn't know what, you know, she was lost in life. Yeah. And, you know, because I feel like there are moments where, I don't know, I, I feel like I could have bought into it more if for somebody who had become, like, gone through grad school to be a counselor when she was with Annika posing as her mom talking to the the counselor at school she could have, or the principal, or whoever it was, she could have kind of 
found a way to use her counseling side of things to be a little more to come across better. You know, I, I just found I felt like she had a better understanding uh, if she's going to school for that. She would have had a better understanding of some way to kind of play that conversation. So there were moments like that that I I was like, I, I don't feel like they're completely tapped into this thing with her that she's yeah. doing. I mean, as much as I loved her character, because I really did enjoy her as a character. I just, I found like that element I just, I, I struggled with. Yeah, I think it's like they underwrote her strife. What happens when you go through a program of rigor is you come out and you have structures that you've learned something. You have structures in place to be able to, f- to you know, focus and find and, and and learn how to learn and do so at a level that you know you you can engage control. And you're absolutely right. That sequence with the with the principal was a real struggle for me because she was written as if she was like a uh, one of the deadbeat high school grads. Yeah. Right. Who who didn't really know what she wanted to do, never went through any sort of program of higher education. And yet they gave us backstory where she had, you know, seven years of undergrad and graduate education. And she had she says she did her internship like she actually met with clients and still had no idea, uh, it, it, like no understanding of the systems in, in place. And I, I, I really struggle with that. I feel like that was like that was, again, a mechanic that you're just asking me to believe so we can get to the punchline uh, at the end of the th- in the third act, um, yeah. which is the exact same problem I had with the first two Shelton movies. To be fair, Andrea Siegel does have her MFA. Yeah. But then why uh, didn't she write it that way? Yeah, I you know what I mean? It, yeah. Oh, no, I'm just I'm just saying I just wanted to point that out. It's it is frustrating. And I think that there are elements in it that just don't don't work with all of this uh, because you're right this is the sort of it's the sort of gag that you get in a film with just any other any grown up who's posing yeah. as a parent uh, yeah. you know for for that whole get me out of school thing and it didn't come across in any way and and i just i don't know for somebody who and, and maybe that's part of the joke is that you know she went to school as a counselor and you know you always hear counselors are always the ones who probably need the most counseling you know that kind of that gag because yeah. she certainly does play it that way but i just don't feel like it's ever brought up to to be a point that leads me to my next bit of of frustration and again looking at this film I already like I'm already in on the humor and I'm in on the overall story, the performances. But because of where they put Megan's character and how the kinds of struggles she was having, I like she's lying to everybody. Why is her boyfriend still with her? after all these years, like, I really struggled with their relationship. I felt like he should have, like, <laughs> he would have left long ago, um, you know, given the kinds of stuff they're showing us on on screen. So when they finally broke up in the airport, when she broke up with him, it, it was another a, a bridge too far for me that I, I didn't, it didn't make sense that he was that it was in any way a, a moment of sorrow. I felt like it was okay. You know what? You're right. We we really should have done this a long time ago. Um, I didn't. I didn't buy any of that scene. I didn't buy the breakup. 
Uh, yeah, I, I loved the way they shot it. Uh, yes. but it was a it was a hard scene to get into because and this was this was largely just like I said, this film felt expected. Like we knew from the beginning that they weren't going to be together because it just felt like she they didn't belong together. We knew as soon as we met Sam Rockwell that they were going to be the couple that came together. We knew her friends and her just didn't click, and we were I was just waiting for them to kind of split up. And and so all of these things just felt so expected. And so Every time she was with her boyfriend, like when she takes the wedding ring, I'm like, oh, of course, now I've got to wait till that all ends because, you know, it's it has to because there's no way they're going to be together. And so, well, and that, but on that point, like, I feel like this is that was uh, that's a, a, a trope that gives me a sense of a bit of exhilaration because I was with you. I was like, how are they now? How are they going to get us out of that? She took the ring and how are they going to make it feel real and resonant that she has to break up with her boyfriend and end up with Sam Rockwell? Because that's the trope. That's what we come to expect. It's how they do it. That that is interesting. It was not interesting. That's well, but the, see, they but they screw up the scene right out of the gate. Then for me, because they, you know, because he does that whole thing of like, let's get married, and she's like terrified, and then he says, "We can just elope," and she's like, "Oh, okay. If you're if you're that sort of guy, like maybe I can, maybe that can help me get through this." And so she's like, she seems more open to it, and then he screws it up. He says. Oh, well, we can't do it tomorrow. It'll have to be the day after that. And she deflates. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Now she's going to say no. And now she's going to figure herself out of the rest of the movie. But then she says yes anyway. I'm like, well, you just you just lost all interest in him. Like, mm -hmm. we visibly saw you lose all interest in this. And then you still say yes to go through with it. And for me, it's just like that moment right there. Like, I was just like, we just, you know. I know it's not going to happen. Like the whole thing just, it, it, I don't know. For me, because of that moment where they deflate, I just kind of like, I don't know. It just, it, I felt it not work. It was the second deflation at the airport that was the callback to that scene when he says he had to send the picture to Instagram. Yeah, because it was like we already had the scene. She already deflated. She already yeah. has no interest in marrying him because he already is is saying, let's be spontaneous. Let's just do it. And she is in that place in her life where that's kind of what she needs to just be spontaneous, do something crazy. And then he doesn't do it. And then she says yes anyway. And I'm just like, like we just needed him to be spontaneous. You know, and... And, and but, so and I know sending it's, it's, a picture... Was not spontaneous. This is what I struggle with. Like, what did she have problem with? What was her problem with him at the airport? Why did she get so upset? That felt out of the blue to me. Because it's, well, because, okay, so this is the way that I read all of that. She wants to be spontaneous. He says, let's be spontaneous. She's like all into that. And then Got he it. says, oh, we can't be that spontaneous. We have to at least we wait We have to be a little day. less spontaneous. Yeah. And so she kind of deflates. She still goes along with it. But in story-wise, at least that pushes her to say, you know what, I need this week of this, quote, you know, retreat that I'm going to go to, um, even though she's not there. But, you know, she's, she kind of steps away to figure things out. So I get it. They're setting that whole thing up that she needs to do. And then at the end, it's like he still wants to be spontaneous to go elope. But the problem is that he's he's secretly eloping while also letting everyone know that, hey, we're actually eloping. And I think that defeats the whole purpose of being spontaneous and eloping. I think that's why she was so bothered. Not so much that it was just the group of friends, but just that he's like, we're going to be spontaneous and elope, but I'm still telling everybody what we're doing. And I think that's, you know, for her, 
I think that was the wall with him where it's just like, you're not allowing us to just have this. You still have to make sure that everyone's in on it. So here's a, a, my challenge to that point, hearing you talk about it. That's an experience that we have at the beginning of this movie. And it is the central experience, the end of their relationship. But nowhere in the middle do we get a sense that that's the stuff that is concerning her about her life. Like, I don't feel like the movie shows her growing in any particular way that makes the end of that sequence different than the one in the beginning. And I think I'm agreeing with you. I'm not sure if I'm agreeing with this for the same reason. It bothered <laughs> me, um, but but I think it's a weakness in how the character was written that the breakup of that love triangle has to be um, something that we have to work so hard to figure out. I think, yeah, I think we are agreeing. I think that I just have a problem from the beginning as soon as it starts. Yeah. And your problem doesn't seem to arise until the end when yeah. she, yeah. Yeah. I feel but like I, the resolution of the setup in the beginning could have been great and it wasn't great. And so my problem doesn't start until they actually break it at the end. And, and yeah. her from there on, like this is the, this is the, the bit about the kind of the resolution of the whole crazy love triangle. She, she then becomes a sort of relationship superhero. Right? <laughs> she goes, uh, she goes to the party. She gets on the boat. She fixes that thing. Chloe Grace Moretz gets written out of the picture. She goes back to Sam Rockwell's house. She has a box of wine and a checkbox. I thought all of that was so cute. It was so cute. And it left me with good, warm, feelings that are ultimately pretty superficial because the, the you know it, it, it's they're kind of hollow because i don't i i don't believe any of those machinations mean much since i already like didn't care for the end of of her relationship with her fiance yeah was, i'm kind it, of okay with that but yeah go ahead well yeah i mean i'm i'm okay with that like how she kind of it's it, i mean it, i'm sure it's going to make for an awkward, awkward <laughs> kind of setup to quote of or potentially a life together right where yeah i was really good friends with your daughter i was buying her booze i was doing all these things now i'm going to hook up with you and now i'm potentially going to be the stepmother to that girl that i was hanging yeah. out with. like i can see but some potential awkwardness there as they as they kind of potentially continue the relationship regardless all that aside I really enjoy how that kind of helps her character kind of grow and change story issues aside, but it's hard for me. I I think for me, it's just hard because the actual, like the story of her figuring out her life with her parents, with her friends, with her boyfriend, all of that, I just have such issues with because it's just like, it's like, we see it far too early, all of the issues. And I, I struggle with, her sticking it out for so long as she did like her friends clearly they're having issues clearly they're already in that friend breakup place it's but she kind of keeps going again i know it's part of her character but it's just it just takes so long and because we're, we're seeing it so pronounced right out of the gate like from the beginning she is having major issues with ellie kemper's character yes, um allison like they're already just too far different for any of this to kind of continue. And so I'm not seeing that thing where she's slowly drifting from the group. It's like she's already completely different from the group. I mean, the way they paint her versus Allison and the other two girls is like night and day. Like she is this lost soul and they're all, they're not even characters I like. And that's, I think, maybe part of my issue is they're just, they're set up to be the stereotypical, um, you know, materialistic, 
type of, uh, you know, I don't know, middle class housewife is, is kind of almost how they set up these characters. I mean, Ellie, uh, I mean, Allison has her own business. She's doing all these things. But regardless, they're just set up like the type of characters that you just don't like. And I'm just like, well, we don't want her with those characters. And that's what would have made this story work better is if I felt like, gosh, I could I could really see her kind of settling and going with that life. But I could also see her going a different direction. And I just feel like the story is setting us up so obviously from the beginning that we we definitely don't want her to go that way because it it's not a good pain it's not a well portrayed world and it just makes it easy to not like the movie for me it was it, it was a bit of a missed opportunity and i i feel like for me what i felt like they were going for was the exercise in contrasts that we already know that this is this is an ex- examination of her and her friend group and how her being a laggy um, is 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 causing her friends to outpace her, just sort of socially, intellectually, professionally, all of those. It's kind of similar to the the character contrast we have in Hump Day, right? Where those the the bro comes back after he was kind of a laggy, you know. Like I I feel like this is a now a thing. I I think what we needed to see, or what Megan needed to see, what was architected in the film was that she had to have the experience of contrast between social groups to see what she was missing. And she falls into some old patterns, some old behaviors with Chloe Grace Moretz's character and uh, gets to see what she had and what she was missing with her friend group. The problem is there was no growth in there for her. Like there was no growth. It was just abandonment. Like she, she comes out and is like, uh, you know, the second uh, Anthony sends the picture to Instagram to all of those friends, she suddenly has the awakening of, oh, I hate them too. That's right. I need to completely move on. Like there was, there was no lesson learned. And now she has no friend group. She has nothing. Like she can't be friends with the 16 year olds anymore because we've grown past that because now she's hooking up with a dad and she can't be friends with, with Ellie Kemper and her lot because they've moved in another direction. And let's just say Ellie Kemper's business is opening a Chinese restaurant. Like that was delightfully sadistically antisocial like that was just it was just wrong uh on so many levels and and i think that that to me played to demonstrate how out of touch like her old friend friend group was but but megan has nothing now like i can't imagine at the end of this movie like the credits roll and we move into her life if you project a month out what does she have that is better she now has no friends on either side, and she's in that super awkward, you know, potential stepmom place to a person she used to buy booze for and is hooking up with it, is with her dad. That seems to me darker than when we started. <laughs> well, and but I'm okay with that because obviously people need to grow and change. Like, I, I like that people need to grow and change. My problem is that we just don't like the friends from the beginning. Like if she yeah. stayed friends with Allison and those girls, I'd be like, that is a nightmare. Like they're yeah. just not set up well. What I think would be an interesting contrast is if they could have made Allison and her group like this is okay. Going to best picture of the year last year, Nomad Land. Think about um, the, the way that uh, Francis McDormand's character, um, Fern plays like when she goes back to David Strathern's family, uh, you've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When she goes back to see his family and they're hanging out his family, they're wonderful. 
they have a great life and he his character decides to stay because he's got grandkids and he kind of reconnects and there's this bonding and they're like he's at a place where he's ready to just like you know what i'm actually ready to just be here and to stay and to be with these people and they're a nice people and i'm just ready for that change in my life and if allison and all of them had actually been nice people but megan was just not ready for that type of life I would have bought into it so much more, but we just set them up as just such awful people. And it's just like, why can't they be nice people that she just grows apart from? Right. Because what we're missing, the, the, the nomad land difference is empathy. Like all of those, the, yeah. the uh, that entire scenario was written with a, and, and portrayed with empathy that is absolutely missing in this movie. And I think you're right. It would have, it would have been more compelling on both counts that the friend group isn't just, you know, um, unlikable, universally unlikable. Uh, but she is also just no longer with them. It's not because she's, I mean, she's, I, I thought the humor was funny, tweaking the nipples. It was, it, it was funny. It was surface funny for me. And I laughed and I, I thought it was great. But there was never any sense that she belonged. And I felt like what I wanted was this is a piece to a puzzle that doesn't go in this part of the puzzle. Like, it's still a part of the puzzle as a whole, but not in this corner. And I never got a a sense that there would have ever been a place to fit, like, those, those pieces together. And that made it, that made it hard to, to kind of rationalize or, or to find my own sense of empathy with, with her struggle. Uh, I kind of wanted, I wanted that to be, to be more obviously hard and hurtful for both of them. Like, I miss you. I miss you too. Right. But it's still not working, and we don't we don't have it. Never have it, and it's frustrating because like Annika and her friends, I mean, they're. <laughs> it is funny. She goes. I mean, she's really regressing back to that point that we have. I mean, the film starts with old video footage of Megan and Allison and all the friends when they were kind of at the age that Annika is, that high school age, their prom, they're lying to their parents, they're skinny dipping in the hotel pool, all that sort of stuff we see in, in kind of the video. And that's how we start the film. So we see that connection. We see that bond. We just never see it as adults. Like they're not friends. And, and yeah. that hurt that hurts the film and but it's interesting that she regresses to that same point when annika and her friends are all hanging out i i I wonder where megan's going to go and that's kind of i guess the you know the interesting part of the story is like how is she going to evolve now that she's basically set herself back 10 years or so and she's back hanging out with that same age group and because those same people potentially will be like allison when in in 10 years time and so I don't know. I guess it makes sense that she ends up with Craig, but I, I don't know. I just I I wonder how well the film is doing any of this and setting any of these points up to make to make something clear to me. Right, because this is this is sort of a history will teach us nothing story, right? Like, yeah. we, you know, as as Megan has aged out and is twenty nine, we get to meet or twenty eight. We now get to meet uh, Chloe Grace Moretz's Annika, who is sixteen, and we watch her and her friends, you know, Caitlin Deaver and and um, uh, who is uh, Lewis Hobson. Like, they they all have their own social group, but 
I think we're meant to see Annika as the new Megan, right? Like in in 10 years, is Annika going to be Megan? And we get no resolution to that. I think Annika is just like written out of the story. But I think that is another potentially missed opportunity that if you're going to look at parallels like this, which the movie I think clearly does, to not structure it so that Annika gets some resolution too is a missed opportunity. Well, I, I mean, and I guess there is some resolution, but I, I just found the way that they played that resolution with them at prom. And I mean, basically what she does is say, you've got to take these chances after this really terrible math joke. I'm like, is that, are we still, is that, that seems just like such bad, like trope, <laughs> comedy trope now to just like these math jokes. I was like, oh, geez, this just hurts. I can't yeah. believe this is, a Lynn, is in a Lynn Shelton movie. Yeah. that It just felt so out of place. But, it's like, where's the resolution? Like, you're just saying you got to go get him. And so she just goes up and like cuts in and tells him, I like you. I want to be your girlfriend. And that was the resolution. I'm like, this is what the story resolution is with this character. Like, it just, it, I don't know. That was weird. Because the story resolution, Andy, was was Annika hooking up with her high school boyfriend, right? They hook up at prom and now they're boyfriend, girlfriend, right? That's, yeah, that's the story. So. But you know what? That's exactly Megan's story with Anthony. And now she's breaking up with him. Like, how did we learn anything? How did Annika learn anything but just repeating Megan's story? That was Megan's contribution. You have fired me up about this movie all of a sudden. (laughs) Well, it's just, it's peculiar because I just don't know what they're trying to teach us. What are they trying to say about Megan and about growing and moving forward? And I just don't know if I'm seeing it. And I think that's, you know, I mean, I said a lot of the problems I have with the story is, is so many of these beats feel expected. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that's the other issue is I'm, I'm not sure what I'm seeing as far as the growth for our protagonist here, who clearly is trying to grow. And yes, she she does get out of that world she's in, but has she made any choices as far as moving forward with her career? All we know is that she's said, you know what, I'm done with that friend group and that boyfriend because it's not getting me anywhere. But hey, I like your dad. I'm going to hook up with him. And it's like, okay, are you, but are you getting a job? Like, like where's your growth? What are you <laughs> Thank doing? Thank God you found a lawyer. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about the lawyer. Oh my gosh, Sam Rockwell. Chewing up the screen sam rockwell every, every scene scene i love him he's love just him. yeah i mean and this speaks to how well i think lynn shelton works with her actors because yeah. all of these people like i loved every character I, yeah. I thought they were all great they were performed well it's just some of them i just i, I didn't think worked in context of the story sam rockwell i mean jeez, eh, come on i mean he was great yeah. he does a great job as dad he does a great job at like the conversations he has with Megan throughout, like when he's like, you know, there's a little <laughs> like when he's looking at her, like he clearly is seeing something's going on here. Like, I just felt like I bought into the way that he played dad. I still was a little skeptical. Like, is he really going to let her stay over? Is he going to let her stay at their house? Like all these things I'm like, I struggled with, but because of the way Simon Rockwell played it, I kind of went along with it. 
I, I think she she let Sam Rockwell be Sam Rockwell, which I think is really important because he he is he's such a property. Um, I didn't get a sense that he was reined in at all. Like the way he he bursts into the bedroom uh, and uh, when she's sleeping on the floor that first night, like all of those moments, those beats, his initial interrogation that night when he's asking her and talking to her about how weird it is. Like you reckon, did you hear the one about the adult, uh, <laughs> you know, who hangs out with some teens uh no i haven't yeah nobody's heard of that because it's weird like that those moments were fantastic <laughs> they felt super natural to me in in yeah. his mouth like those lines were delivered i i think really great and um i i don't know if if that's a testament to him as a performer or to just lines being well written uh on the page but it, it was it, he was a delight every time he was on screen and I thought the chemistry actually worked really well between him and Kira Knightley. Yeah. Like, I viscerally felt their connection, the way that Kira was playing the character, Megan. I like, I totally believed everything she was doing. Like, she was just fantastic in this film. And her and Sam Rockwell, like, they instantly clicked for me. Like, I just totally loved seeing them as a couple here. It worked really well. Yeah, I think so too. And she is, let's see, 36 to 52. 68 to 85 it you know it's not the grossest of age gaps <laughs> how old wait how old is sam rockwell so sam rockwell is 52 right now and kira knightley is 36 and this movie uh, came out six years ago so 30 and 46 45 and how old is chloe oh chloe right uh, Chloe right now is 24, so she would have been what 18, 19, somewhere in there. Yeah, right, right. That's about that's about right. Okay, yeah. I, you know, I I would say to her too. I I thought Chloe Moretz was fantastic, right? And she played this was maybe one of the most natural performances I've seen of her. She's not You're she's right. not in some sort of weird character. She's not playing that overly sophisticated uh, kind of archetype. She she just felt like a very natural Pacific Northwest teen. Yeah, just yeah, teen period. Like I, yeah. I just really liked all of that. Like the way that she approached Megan buying to buy them beer. All of that just felt really natural. I think the the thing that I may and actually I really liked that whole scene. The way everything played between Megan Annika and Gretchen Maul uh, yeah. returning to the show, her character as uh, Annika's mom, uh, that was like a really interesting conversation. I, I The way that that scene played, I it worked really well for me. And, and that also, like I just bought the way Chloe did that. The one thing that I was like not so sure on is when she kind of so willingly kind of accepts the fact that Megan might be um, you know, with her dad now. I was like, well, she was just your friend. And and like, I don't know, I find that there's something there. I felt like a young high school kid would might have a little more issue with that. You know, like, you're my friend. You're not my dad's girlfriend. That was that felt like an easy out too to me structurally like it, it, it's again it's this whole idea of like we need to tie up some of those loose ends that uh, in in reality would be hard but for the movie we have to we have to put put those away so that we can end the film i've been finding this in in the shelton films so far and i wonder if you think it's it's something that perhaps she just likes in her stories this idea of 
a very forgiving type of character where people are much more willing to kind of forgive and move past things because they're all acknowledging none of us are perfect. And I think that's actually a Shelton trope, if we're going to start, or not, maybe not a really? Shelton trope, but a Shelton element that she it always includes in her films. Yeah, think about Hump Day. We had... You know, they had made this crazy decision to go forward with this, um, you know, doing this performance. So and his about wife. The wife. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And she's just like, you know what? I had my own slip up and, you know, we're all none of us are perfect. And this Blech. is me being multifaceted. Same thing in your sister's sister. We had there was a lot more forgiveness as as kind of the truths come out between everybody and they all kind of work through it and they kind of work together. And uh, I think Mark uh, Mike Birbiglia was probably the only person who wasn't on any end of any forgiveness in that particular yeah, film. Right. Um, but uh, but I'm sure he forgave Mark Duplass's character because he's that guy. <laughs> but and then in this film, same thing, right? We have Annika eventually kind of kind of forgiving Megan and welcoming welcoming her into their life until she realizes what's going on. And then also same thing with uh, with. Um, Megan's dad, Jeff Garland's character, and how he makes this big mistake, talks to his wife about it. There's forgiveness. It was a horrible thing I did. I'm sorry. Like all of that. I'm like, this really seems like something that Lynn Shelton, maybe she's like, it's a way to say if human beings could find ways to be more forgiving toward each other because we all make mistakes, maybe the world will be a better place. I'm, I feel like I'm starting to get that sense that Lynn Shelton believes that and has her characters acting this way yeah that's really interesting and i i i think you're onto something i it's i find it fascinating that i was i found i found it distasteful in hump day yeah oh i did too <laughs> uh, yeah right but but in in the form of her dad in this movie i found it believable like i enjoyed maybe it's because I just felt like his performance was of, of that scene was so good. And I really genuinely like Jeff Garland. And I, I think I'm used to him in um, Curb Your Enthusiasm and just the way, you know, Jeff Garland, he, he's like the Tignataro. Like, you get what you get with Jeff Garland. Like, he doesn't have a huge range, but when you put him in the right role, he shines. And I think he really shines here as the dad, as the guy who says, you know what, I screwed up. I screwed up badly, but I'm not going anywhere. This was never a sign that I was going anywhere, right? In, yeah. in many respects, he is a mirror of Megan, right? Just like, I don't, I I lost my mind for a while. I didn't know what was going on in my own head. And the the result was I did something stupid in the back alley yeah. um, at a wedding. But I got over it, right? Yeah. The the lesson is we have a character who can have an indiscretion and get over it, acknowledging hard work ahead. And I, I like that. Like, I, I actually do. I like that. I feel like it it was real here where it was written off in Hump Day as I had an indiscretion, too, so it's even. And that's where things are, the, where those two tropes are different. Yeah, 100%. Those two and maybe examples of the trope. Maybe that's a good example of Andrea Siegel's writing, the way yeah. that she portrayed that. Because I 100% agree with you the way that Mr. Birch's uh, conversation there went with Megan about, you know, I I told her I'm not going anywhere and I have a, I'm going to be working on this. It's going to take some time yeah. for her to, you know, uh, forgive me. I thought that was like really 
well put together. I just, I, I enjoyed that so much. And yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy it in hump day. And perhaps as you, you know, started this whole conversation, this was scripted. That was kind of improv to come up with how that was all going to work out. And maybe that's a sign that there are times where having that scripted conversation and working through it can really kind of um, clean it up and make it work a little yeah. better. In some cases, again, I didn't buy it that much when, with Annika's apology for I, your forgiveness. That's it, it's funny because I, I generally I still even after all of this conversation I still found that I liked the general flow of this movie more than any of the previous ones. Like I felt like I was in better hands with this movie than I did with Sister Sister and Hump Day. Like I, I felt more confident that, and maybe it's because I knew what I was getting around every corner. Like I wasn't genuinely surprised by anything. Uh, but but I do think there there was something to that. This felt like a more competent, controlled um, motion picture, and not and less of an experiment. I think that it's an interesting step for Lynn Shelton, if nothing else, right? It, it, she's mm-hmm. working with a, a screenwriter. The Duplass brothers aren't involved at all. It's just kind of her on her own as she's kind of moving forward into bigger budgets, uh, kind of out of, quote, the mumblecore type of story. And I think that it's, uh, if nothing else, it's a step up for her to try doing something little bigger, a little broader, still the same type of story, though. And so it's nice to see her kind of, uh, you know, advancing as, as a filmmaker. Yeah, I think so, too. I really yeah. do. I will say uh, on on Getting It Made, I, I watched the uh, special features uh, on this thing, and it, it was basically just the same the same behind-the-scenes footage cut together in different ways. There are like two or three different features on there, but um, they were all very much the same. What I liked uh, uh, about them is just how much people on the crew seem to love working with Lynn Shelton. Like she, They speak very, very highly of working with her. Jeff Garland... Um, he says she's my favorite director. I'm the luckiest man alive to be able to be in one of her pictures. And I just hope as she keeps getting more money that she keeps putting, giving some of it to me. Like they just sing, uh, from the mountaintop, uh, about working with her as, as a director. Um, I, I, I felt like this movie in, in general was, um, you know, I, I think she used her locations incredibly well, right? She is she's a Seattle director, and she knows Seattle, East Side, West Side. They uh, of the sound, uh, they they used pieces of Seattle that were not star pieces of Seattle. Like they didn't just hang out at the Space Needle. They didn't just hang out downtown or on the wharf. Like the places where that that put you in Seattle, which demonstrate nothing more than you spent three days in Seattle. Like they they really went into neighborhoods and it felt really natural to me i i think she's uh, i i think she did uh, really really well there camera is uh ben kasulki is back again has worked with you, her a number of times um uh, I, it felt good it didn't feel like anything to particularly write home about which maybe for the style and tone of this movie was appropriate yeah maybe um it's interesting because the last i mean this is third of three that we've talked about Kasulki's camera work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like your sister's sister might have had the best cinematography so far, but perhaps that's also because of the locations out on the islands and how just mm-hmm. incredible all of that looked. We had some more aerial shots here of kind of establishing the different areas and stuff, but nothing really stood out to me at all in the story, except for that shot when she, uh, this is uh, Megan and Anthony were sitting in the airport 
and breaking up. And, you know, he takes her hand and is holding it and, and kind of having this last conversation with her. And then we cut to the back of them and we see them holding hands and he lets go of it and puts his hands in his own lap and she puts her hands in her lap. Yeah. And it was just a nice way to kind of show that separation in a, in a visual way. I just didn't get a lot of that throughout the film. And so it's funny because for the bigger budget story, I don't think that they're doing anything more unique with the camera at all. And I was hoping that Kasulki would have found a few more things to throw in there, but I just didn't see much. Music, Benjamin Gibbard. I was wondering what happened to Vinnie Smith, why they weren't working together on this particular film. I know he had been kind of busy. Again, he's also doing that whole thing where he's the sound designer, he's the sound mixer, he's the boom operator. Like He's kind of really involved in the films when they're working together and doing a lot more stuff. Honestly, though, he hasn't composed music. He did... Uh, your sister's sister, and he did Touchy Feely, which is her film we didn't talk about um, between these two. And and then he's kind of um, stopped composing music, just went more into the sound department. So it could be, just be that he hit this point in his career where he's kind of stepped away from more of that sort of work. In fact, he hasn't really done much since 2016. So uh, he might have just stepped away kind of from this business completely and is just focusing on his own music now or something. Yeah. So we have this new uh, uh, Ben Gibbard, Benjamin Gibbard, uh, on this movie. Um, he, it, in terms of his composing for film, um, he's done laggies and a bunch of shorts. He is everywhere on soundtracks. Uh, he's written a lot of songs. For film, for TV, he's all over the place. Um, but looks like this is the only feature film score that he's done. Interesting. Inter- well, he's he's Death Cab for Cutie, is who he is. Yes, that's right. And, we should say that out loud. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's why his soundtracks are everywhere. Uh, yeah, and Postal Service. Own, yeah, so right. So Ghost he's, of Beverly Drive, right. Yeah, so he's definitely more focused on that sort of work. And so... Right. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't remember much of the music here, and I, I, I guess that's okay. I mean, it was fine. Um, and I, I feel like that generally is the case. Like, the movie fits the film, but none of it has stood out that much to me so far. And I think mm-hmm. what I find I connect to more in Shelton's films are the songs, even though this one wasn't layered with songs like some of her previous ones, like... I felt like just like the music that she picks to play over the end credits, like that seems to fit the feel of the film more than, uh, you know, more, more than creating memorable music for me. Yeah. Whereas uh, for your sister, sister, I loved the music. Like it was memorable music and I thought it, it worked really well um, sure. in context. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, we did it. Tell me if the French have made a remake <laughs> on this, of this film. I want the French to remake all of Shelton's films. I just want that to be a thing. Like, why is that a thing? I don't know for those previous two. Uh, This was not one. You're right, though. There was no remake of any kind that I could see of this. So, uh, yet, maybe the French are still planning. (laughs) Yeah, it's still too fresh. they're still planning, yeah. That's what it is. It's probably in production. How to do in the uh, awards circuit? Uh, You know, barely noticed. Barely noticed is the best way to say. It did have one win, one other nomination. The win, it's a very minor win because it's at the Tacoma Film Festival. 
it's a local audience award. So it's very much Washington centric. It won the audience award for the film at the London Critics Circle Film Awards. Uh, Kira Knightley was nominated for Best British Actress, but again, this is one of those for what she accomplished over the course of that year. Mm-hmm. Best Best Actress of the Year. It's for The Imitation Game, Begin Again, and this. And she, of course, lost to Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl and What We Did on Our Holiday. I can I can see that. Yeah, I just I, I don't feel this is the sort of one that's. You know, yeah, and, and with people. when you when you compare this to something like Begin Again, I'll take Begin Again up and down the street. Like I just, I really loved Begin Again. I thought it was fantastic, and and this doesn't uh, doesn't really hold up to that. Too many too many questions. Yeah, uh, but you say she got a, a bigger budget. How'd this one do at the box office? Yeah, Shelton's budgets have steadily been climbing. With Laggies, she did have her biggest budget yet. $5 million, or $5.4 million in today's dollars. The movie still had a limited five-screen release opening opposite Ouija and John Wick. It opened in spot 46, and even on the per-screen average, it only did half as well as the dock Citizen 4, which also opened limited and barely beat Force Majeure in its limited opening. This movie went on to earn $1 million domestically and $1.8 million internationally for a grand total of $3.1 million in today's dollars. Unfortunately, that may speak to the fact that even a $5 million budget might just be too big for what Shelton is doing with her films as it lands with an adjusted loss per finished minute of almost $23,000. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. But, I mean, you look at the, I think the award circuit is is a, a telling bit. Like, nobody saw this movie. You know? I just, like, yeah. I just, but again, it's just not doing that much that's different. Yeah. That's too bad. How do you open against John Wick? <laughs> One does not open against John Wick. Let's just say that. Uh, okay, Andy, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. I clearly liked it better than you did. You haven't swayed me that much. Maybe a skosh. Uh, let's, <laughs> we should probably take it to the mat and find out. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see the list of movies we've talked about on this show. If you swipe over in your show notes, tap the word flickchart. It'll take you over to this film in the flickchart database where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours. All right. First, I think, up, it, we have... I think it should be Rock, Paper, Sam Rockwell. Or no, <laughs> Rockwell, Rockwell, Paper, Scissors. Rockwell, Paper, Scissors. Yeah, that's what it should be. <laughs> okay. Uh, first up, we have Laggies or Wall Street. Um, Laggies. Wall, Wall Street for me. Oh, here we go. Here we go. All right. One. One. Two. two three. three paper. Rockwell. <laughs> See, <laughs> you knew I, knew I was, was going to do that. You I knew, knew I was totally. going to do it, but I had to. For the show, Andy. <laughs> for the, the show. show. Uh, Laggies or Rabid. I had uh, the same match when I ranked it. I think, rabid I for think, me. Uh, rabid. Laggies or Year of the Dragon? Laggies. I'm going to take Year of the Dragon. I will definitely watch that first. Really? Despite its, despite its issues. Wow. Yeah, if for nothing else other than that fantastic shootout at the end. Huh. I'll take Year of the Dragon. All right, here we go. Heads in bags, all sorts of good stuff. All right. One, one two, two, three. three. Rock Scissors. <sighs> for crying out loud, Rockwell beats me here? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Laggies or To the Stars by Hard Ways. I'll take To the uh, Stars by Hard Ways. To the Stars by Hard Ways. I think that's actually an easy one. Laggies or Apt Pupil. Oh. Uh, I'll still say Apt Pupil. Yeah, I think Apt Pupil for me too. 
Baggies or Underworld, Rise of the Lichens. <laughs> oh, dear. I think Laggies. Yeah, I'll say Laggies. Laggies or Robin Hood. This is the 1999 Patrick Bergen vehicle. Oh, la- laggies. Laggies, yeah. Laggies or the Omega Man. Laggies. I'll say the Omega Man. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> We have I, kind of a brand about the Omega Man, Andy, and you may be pushing the limits of it. You know what? I'm going with it. All right. Here we go. All right. One, One two, two, three. three. Paper. Scissors. Oh. There we go. Laggies takes it. There we go. Laggies are the last Boy Scout. I know you're the last Boy Scout. I'll take the last Boy Scout. Yeah, you're wrong. Here we go. <laughs> One, One, two, two three. three. Rockwell. 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 <laughs> Rockwell. <Scissors. laughs> Excellent. Well, laggy 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 is is just one spot below it. It's spot 498 on our chart. 498 out of 512 did not go very high. That's that only puts it at 3%. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's it did low. better on mine. Sadly, not not that much better. How'd it do on yours? Yeah, it it wasn't great on my my chart. It landed in spot thirty six fifty four out of forty six forty eight. It's twenty one percent. So mine ended up at eight fifty nine out of fifteen oh six, which is a forty three percent. If I were to take that over at letterbox.com slash the next reel, uh, then this should be a two star according to Letterbox. I think it's it's better than that for sure. Uh, I, I actually think it's closer to a three and a half and a heart. Wow. Okay. Three and a half and a heart. Uh, yeah. I again, I felt it gave me those the warm feelings that a one of these romantic comedies uh, has to give me, and I think I would really enjoy watching this uh, with other people who like this these kinds of movies. I yeah. think it's easy to kind of let go of the stuff that we pick apart uh, on this show and just let it be. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I, I I think that this is a film that probably is enjoyable for people who are interested in in just kind of that easy to just kind of watch and go along with rom com style. I think that that's there. For me, I just everything was expected. I just it was too obvious for me. Her friends were just badly written. I just I I really struggled with all of it. So for me, I I mean. Flickchart says I should rank it at one star. Ouch. I'm not that low. I'll, I'll say it's two stars. I mean, I liked the characters. I genuinely really enjoyed the relationships between uh, Sam Rockwell's character, Keira Knightley's character, Chloe Grace Moretz's character. All of them I thought were great. And uh, just the story around them just didn't work. So two stars, no heart is where I'm going to sit. Wow. Two stars, no heart. I th- I regret that. If only that you can notice in our notes, I've started using the anatomically correct emoji heart. Did you even know that I exists? Noticed that I did. That makes me really grosses excited. me out a little bit. It, a little bit, right? A little yeah. bit. It's got all the veins. The it's oof, gross emoji. <laughs> well done. Uh, well, that was that was it. We're in. I think we're at the middle point, right, of our Lynn this, Shelton series. Yes, what do we do? Is, what do we do this next? Is the midpoint. Yeah. This this. You might say it's hump day <laughs> in our particular series. We should have planned that better. We really yeah. should have put hump day in the middle of the series. Yeah, we did it wrong. Oh, we've completely failed our audience, of course. Uh, we're going to her 2017 film, Outside In. This is a drama. 
Returning to the Duplass, uh, a little bit of a lower budget. This is going to be a story that she writes with Jay Duplass. Look at this. His first beer in 20 years. Everybody, Chris's high school teacher is here. If it wasn't for you, Chris would still be in jail. Holy moly. <laughs> you're real. Uh, <laughs> you're going to come over and you can get to know Hildy and Tom. He's here. Congrats on your release. Maybe now I can get my wife back. <laughs> and uh, she's going to be doing a story that involves Edie Falco, J. Duplass. I'm not really sure what the story is here, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing this one because I hear a lot of good things about it. You know, we didn't mention Caitlin Deaver in this uh, in this last film. Uh, Caitlin Deaver was in it. She's in the news because she is Zoe in uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Big, big, big movie coming for Dear Evan Hansen fans. And uh, she is once again in Outside In. I really liked her in this movie. I thought she was great. But weirdly, I said, oh, she's playing exactly the same character she is in Booksmart. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you could say that she probably got book smart because of this movie. <laughs> yes. That's what I was very much imagining. Yeah. Very much. And we uh, didn't so talk about Mark great. Weber, who played Anthony, who um, all I can think of is um, his work in um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. Part of the band. So. You're right. Sekba bomb. Thank you to all of our members uh, for your support. We sure appreciate you uh, hanging out with us, supporting us, uh, and, and heading over to um, thenextreel.com slash membership and, and being a part of this community. Uh, you know, one of the perks you get is that you get the bonus episodes. We got, we're doing so many bonus episodes. You'd think it's its own podcast, the bonus episodes. What are we doing right now? By the time this episode goes live, we will lo- have likely locked in the film that we're going to be talking about for our June member bonus episode. It's either going to be from the David Cronenberg series, the Great Car Chases series, or from the Disease Films series. So it should be fun. We're looking forward to it. But, you know, we've covered a lot of films so far. We've covered Gone Girl, The Russia House, Equilibrium, Ivanhoe, Tenet, The Hot Rock, Thelma and Louise, Dolomite is my name, and of course now just The Big Heat. So lots of great films, lots of extra bonus episodes for our members, and that's just this show. There's also the Film Board member bonus episodes. Plus now, members are also getting to listen to Pete and I do some flick chart re-rankings on this show, which, uh, you know, our, our May one I think was pretty fun. I'm looking forward to another uh, another battle come June. You're diabolical. <laughs> uh, that's all. I just I'm going to leave it with that. You're diabolical. Uh, so it's great. Also, remember that members uh, at the uh, one reeler level get to vote on our Saturday matinee polls to help choose the list topic based on this very movie laggies uh, coming up, which is uh, going to be a lot of fun. These lists are are great and entertaining. And they're generally good lists of movies for you to track down and watch if you if you like the movie that we're talking about that week. So uh, all the stuff you're supposed to do with these podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, and, and listen. But perhaps most important, and we don't do this often enough, please share. Any movie lovers in your life who don't listen to the show, who don't have a favorite movie podcast, you should tell them about this one and see if we can help them out. The best way we have to get more people listening to the show is you. Thanks. When the movie ends, the conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As Letterbox always doeth. Letterbox at the bottom end gives some really sour, sour (laughs) words for this movie. Where did you end up going?
I have a five stars by Street Librarian who has this to say about the film. They gave it a big heart, too. Laggies is my Citizen Kane. That's big. That is big. That's a commitment. That is a hardcore cinematic commitment you've got right there. I went with a uh, I went with a one star um, because I I liked the movie generally and um, it was it was hard to find just the right one star that conveyed my personal feelings toward the movie until I got to Afton's one star review. Afton says, "Kind of a shit movie." Until to my surprise, I discovered that Sam Rockwell's kind of a dilf. Still not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> I'll tell you, there are a lot of people over at Letterboxd who talk overly uh, loving adoration and sexual praise (laughs) for Sam Rockwell of this film. I'm telling you, I might, my family movie night picks might need to start going in the direction of Sam Rockwell features, like just for the next, for the the foreseeable future. Yeah, just on the Green Mile. Green Mile, (laughs) Moon. Uh Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think they'll love the Green Mile, though. Especially the chocolate scene. Mm. (laughs) Moon pie. Thanks, Letterboxd. (laughs) I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>